You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. As Max said, my name is Reverend Vanita. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm one of the co-pastors here at Forefront, and I am thrilled about being able to share a message with you all today. So during the meet and greet, um, I had the opportunity to hear some of the practices that some of our members had put in place during the pandemic, and I'm happy to say that I could relate because some of what I heard is connected to some of what I did. So... During the time of lockdown, um, there were so many questions. Um, There was so much uh, that we were struggling with. And one of the things that I absolutely love to do, along with my partner, Todd, was to go to a local nature center, Flat Rock Brook Nature Center in Inglewood, New Jersey. Has anyone ever been there before? It's not far. All right. It's not far. from the George Washington Bridge, and in fact, the staff has been there because when we had a retreat at our home, we stopped there first before we went to our series planning. But this nature center is on 150 acres. Um, It is absolutely beautiful, and it gave us an opportunity to feel safe, to socially distance, to meditate, to pray, to be at peace with ourselves, with each other, and with God. And there are many different trails at Flat Rock, and sometimes, because, you know, we weren't really always paying attention to where we were going, we would actually find ourselves lost, right? And we would start off on the red trail, then we wound up on the white trail, and then we'd be on one path that we didn't necessarily um, bargain for, and we just didn't know where we were going. But there was something, even though we were lost, there was something that gave us peace about being in a place that we were not that familiar with, but not worrying about what was on the outside. Because we had a lot of doubts. We didn't know how the pandemic would impact our family. Would we be able to keep our family safe? How long would this be going on? When would we come out of this? So even though sometimes we would be lost physically, we would actually get lost in our thoughts and in our conversations and in our questions and in our unbelief. I liken this experience to where some of us may be today where we are negotiating a lot of different questions and we are negotiating a lot of unbeliefs on our faith path on our various spiritual journeys. And we are happy to be on the path with Jesus as we try and make sense of the world around us, yet sometimes we lose our footing and stumble on the deep roots of what we've been taught down through the years. Can anyone relate? The many issues we've attempted to bury 
actually resurface from time to time. And then we continue to circle around the trail of self-doubt and the path of insecurity. And this hinders our progress. These types of things actually stunt our growth. And on the other side, at times, we experience some clarity and we discover freedom around our values. But then we feel lost again and we wonder if Jesus really loves us and we wonder if we can be our full authentic selves and we wonder if it's okay for the teachings and beliefs that we embraced when we were young are still relevant today and we wonder if our faith really can evolve. We believe, we believe, we have faith, but sometimes we struggle to hold space for everything that we are experiencing. There is a scripture that connects with that, that we're going to talk about today. And it's in Mark chapter 9, and there are also similar stories in Matthew and Luke. And this occurs after Jesus had taken three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, up to the mount. And while they were there, he becomes transfigured. And they get to have this incredible, awesome experience with Jesus, where they are exposed to Jesus' deity. Just these three. And some people call this Jesus' inner circle, his closest friends. However, maybe there were just these three who were really able to see certain things, right? Sometimes we have friends and then sometimes we do certain things with certain friends because they can handle certain situations, right? And this is the situation with these three where they got to experience some of the things that the other disciples didn't. But they have this awesome experience and then while they are watching Jesus become transformed before their very eyes, there is this voice from a cloud that says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Listen to him. As I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about this voice. And in times past, I always recognized this voice as being this really dominant, masculine, strong, powerful voice. But as I was preparing, I was thinking about, as Bryn talked about, our Genderful God series. And I was thinking about all we are doing to be inclusive. And I kept saying this to myself in my powerful voice, in my feminine voice. So this is the voice that I began to hear as I envisioned and thought about what the disciples could have possibly be hearing during that time. Hear him. Listen to him. And as they came down, they thought about the experience and Jesus told them not to share this with anyone. And Jesus also said, you will not share this with anyone until the time that the Son of Man has risen from the dead. And they began to ask about this. What was this all about? What was this resurrection all about? And Jesus began to explain to them something. So they descend this mount 
and they have questions. They don't fully understand. They, they've heard, they, they've listened, but they didn't fully understand. So when they came down from the mountain, they saw a big crowd with religious leaders. There was quite the commotion going on. There were religious leaders questioning and arguing with the disciples. And when the crowd saw Jesus, having just come from this holy mount, they were overwhelmed with wonder and amazement. And Jesus wanted to know what all this commotion was all about. And he asked the scribes, these were the religious leaders, and they were knowledgeable in the law, and they were responsible for drafting legal documents. He asked them, why are you questioning them? What are you arguing about? And in verse 17, it picks up, one of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever this spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. This is really interesting because the text actually, actually tells us that this man was bringing his son to Jesus, and then he winds up asking the disciples. And I don't necessarily know how that came to be. Maybe he got there, and then Jesus was on the mount. Uh, maybe when he arrived, the disciples said, well, Jesus is not around, so we'll, we'll try it. Whatever it was, this man was desperate. This man wanted his son healed. So he winds up asking the disciples. There was an evil spirit, the text says, which was upon him, which is also referred to as a spirit that made him mute, a spirit that robbed him of his speech, and a spirit that caused him to have seizures. And because the disciples were not strong enough to heal him, as the literal translation actually says, the religious leaders began to question and argue with them. Now the disciples, because they attempted to do something but weren't able to do it, were probably feeling very defeated, humiliated, embarrassed, and the crowd was exposed to their inability to help heal this man's son, fully exposed. And they probably had questions and doubts about why they were not able to do that. And maybe they even questioned whether or not they were actually followers of Jesus. Their shortcomings, fully exposed. But it says they were arguing. It's interesting. Because on one hand, the nine disciples were being questioned, it seems, by the religious leaders. But on the other hand, maybe the disciples were like, well, hey, you're religious leaders. Maybe you can try to heal him. And in ancient times, they were actually Jews who acted as exorcists. So maybe some of the conversation was around, it's not just on us. Maybe you all can try to heal him too. Nevertheless, the commotion is ensuing and Jesus speaks up. And in verse 19, it says, Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? 
how long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, when I read this, and even as I'm, I'm reading this now, I'm like, come on, Jesus. This is a little harsh here. I wonder why he responded in this way. I mean, maybe Jesus had been just trying to tell them things, like I'm with you now, I'm going to be leaving soon, and maybe he was trying to explain to them what was going to happen, and maybe he was a bit frustrated. I don't know. Or maybe it really wasn't about being harsh, and it wasn't about embarrassing the disciples or adding insult to injury. As much as it was a window A window for them to look at something else. For them to look at things a different way. Maybe this was a diversion. I do gender-based violence prevention, and when we talk about bystander intervention, we talk about diversions and creating a distraction. And I had a group of students who would always say, when someone is at a party, and something's going to happen, or it looks like something's going to happen to an individual, break the lamp. (laughs) Create a diversion. Break the lamp, because when you break the lamp, someone will have a chance to intervene. So someone else won't get harmed. Someone will have a chance to intervene so that everyone can look in a particular way and refocus their attention. And maybe this was an opportunity for Jesus to get the crowd to simply focus on him. To get the crowd to focus on Jesus. And then all the attention focused on Jesus, even the evil spirit. Because when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the son into yet another violent episode. And when Jesus asked how long had it been going on, he found out, or Jesus already knew, but the man was able to articulate about his son, this has been happening since he was a little boy. And he proceeds to say, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus proceeds to say, what do you mean, if I can? Anything is possible. If a person believes, anything is possible if a person believes. So the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. The King James Version says he cried out and said with tears, help my unbelief. Can you imagine this parent who was struggling with the child who had been sick for a number of years, the despair he was probably experienced because of everything that he had been going through, and he had been looking and searching for healing, and he had questions, and he had unbelief about whether or not his healing would actually take place, and now he's here with Jesus, and even though Jesus had been performing miracles, Maybe there was just still some unbelief that he was struggling with. He had probably been isolated and marginalized. And he said, Lord, I believe, but I'm going to need you to help my unbelief. So we have faith struggling to embrace faith 
the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then we have fear, we have doubt, we have the unknown, we have questions, all here together. You know, I remember a sermon before um, when I was younger, and this person said that fear and faith and doubt and faith are not able to operate in the same space. And as a result, the questions that I had, I didn't feel like asking. When I had doubt, there was quite a bit of shame. When I had some unbelief that maybe trickled in, I felt really uncomfortable about it. However, I heard another sermon, and the sermon used, the, the preacher used this particular text and talked about doubt and faith actually coexisting. And this actually became one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it speaks to our humanity where every day we are walking the path of faith and we are confronted with so many things that cause us to struggle and cause us to doubt. All operating in the same heart, in the same space, in the same mind, in the same spirit. The good news is that Jesus can handle it all. Jesus has space for it all. And it's so important for us to believe that no matter what we experience, God continues to work things out on our behalf. Against all odds sometimes it seems, amen? Against all odds. So this week, some major news dropped. Maybe you heard it. It was in vogue and it was all over. <laughs> all over social media, Serena Williams, tennis icon, living legend, my greatest of all times. The experts can say what they want. She's my goat. She announced that she would not be retiring. She would be evolving because she was ready to do something different. But in the article, she talked about her parents and all that they instilled in her and how they helped get her to where she is today. Maybe you've seen King Richard and this story about her life. It was absolutely incredible. Well, her parents, and albeit this focused on her dad, but both her parents were very instrumental in where she is now. But you saw the father pouring in to his girls to ensure that they would become successful tennis players. He was operating with a lot of questions, doubts, unbelief, because after all, where were the tennis pros that came from Compton? Where were the little black girls who were tennis stars? And he pushed through even though he didn't have the proper courts. He pushed through even though he would go to some of these clubs and tell people what he wanted to do and they would look at him very suspiciously and look at him in a weird way because it's like, where are you, what are you doing, black man, talking about bringing your daughters and, 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 and grooming them and training them to be tennis pros? And then he actually received opposition from his own community from his very own community. He struggled, but he did it against all odds because he was able to continue to ground himself in his dream and in the things that mattered most to him. 
my husband Todd and I had the opportunity to go to Ghana last month, and we had the opportunity to work with an organization that we've been partnering with for some years now. It's called Leaders of the Free World, and they provide young black men with a transformational leadership experience, with, which culminates in a trip to Ghana. And this organization is focused on self-awareness, um, allowing the young people to be globally minded and service driven. And why this is important uh, is because it's a wonderful opportunity to pour into these young black men whose society has said you probably won't graduate from college, whose society has said your bodies do not matter, which is why we can be brutal against your bodies, whose society has said um, you might not get a job and you might not be able to work whatever said particular job, right? So all of these odds, continue to be against them, and it's a blessing to be able to help them come against the myths and the stereotypes and be able to take them to another country and pour into them and help build them up and help them to see their motherland. And it was such an enriching and gratifying experience for me to see them, even in the short period of time that I was there, they were there for two weeks, I was there for about a week, to see their phenomenal transformation against all odds. They continued to push through. And then I have a personal story about pushing through. Many of you might know that um, my parents were married, then they got divorced, and then they got remarried again. But what a lot of people don't know is that when it came to their divorce, well, initially they're being separated, my mother had to make a major decision. And she decided that she would put her family first, that she would put her girls first. So what she did was she decided to leave our home in Teaneck, New Jersey, but she did not leave by herself. She had her three daughters with her, and she was pregnant with a fourth daughter. And she decided that she wanted a life for them that was focused on empowerment and strength and helping them to have a voice. And she did it. And she struggled. And many people looked at her like, what is wrong with you? Why would you do this? And many people took sides because they had a lot of friends. And what she did was try to create a path where God would be first and they would be folk and, and her girls would be all that she wanted them to be. And I'm standing here to tell you she did a pretty good job. And my, my you can clap it up for my mom. She was able to navigate family, education, career against all odds, and she pushed through everything. So this father, this father continued to push and came to Jesus and was able to see results. The blessing is that this father's need was not shared in isolation. It was shared in community. He was real about what he couldn't do and his need for Jesus, which is what we should think about not sharing, not keeping our needs secret, not being ashamed about it, but being a needs-based community. Now, you'll probably be hearing me talk about this needs-based community all the time now that I learned about it. And it's more of a matriarchal society, a matriarchal culture. It's where there is no shame. It's where we come together. It's where you will hear voices say, 
I believe, but help my unbelief. And then you'll hear some other voices say, all things are possible if you only believe. And this can only happen in community where people are being open and honest about sharing. It happens in small groups, which is why we are pushing and encouraging you to get involved with either a neighborhood group or a group that's looking over uh, a book or studying and reading a book together, um, a group that comes together to eat dinner, small groups. And it happens right here on Sunday morning. You know, shout out to Forefront because we are a hybrid church and shout out to everyone who's joining us virtually. And that is so beautiful. Yes, snapping it up for y'all. <laughs> And there's something enriching and valuable about meeting here in person. So I highly encourage us to think, if you can, about coming and worshiping together on Sunday mornings where we can have that eye-to-eye -eye contact, where we can get that hug, where we can hear about how your week was, and we can continue to uplift you. So... <clears throat> As we think about grounding, I just want to share some things that um, have helped me, and I pray that they help you as you navigate your path, dealing with many questions and doubts and disbelief. I believe that God has given us all sorts of um, resources to be able to help us make it through. And one of the things that I was thinking about in terms of grounding us so that we can move forward with all of our experiences uh, is a podcast, and it's called Balanced Black Girl. And this particular um, podcast talked about small wellness habits. And I'm all about self-care and wellness because I firmly believe that self-care is community care. As we continue to care for ourselves, we essentially are caring for the community. So here we go. Here's a quick little list. Consume less information and minimize multitasking. Information overload is not good for us. <laughs> and it can actually be draining. Establish a bedtime routine. Sleep is so important because our bodies need to restore and repair, right? And then sometimes we don't get enough sleep because we don't have a routine, whatever that is. Drinking calm is what, one of the things I like to do. Um, reading, lighting some candles. And then one of the things that we can do to help us stay grounded is to not think that we have it all together all the time, but is ask for help on a regular basis, when you don't know something, when you're confused about something, ask for help. And then give a full body yes or a full body no so that you can bring your full self to whatever experience it is. And then know when to quit. Sometimes we are involved in things just for a reason, for a particular season, and then it's time to quit. And then pray. Pray until something happens. This man prayed a phenomenal prayer. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. This is him being fully transparent, fully honest, and this is where we can find freedom and liberation in our questions, in our wondering, in our doubts. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. If you are joining us online, I would invite you to please drop your prayer requests um, in the chat. If you have um, any needs that you'd like for our community to pray for you for, please do so. If you have celebrations and praise reports, kindly do that. Let's pray.
Dear Lord, we thank you that we are always able to come to you honestly and openly. We thank you that you have space for it all. We thank you, dear God, that in your presence there is no shame and there is no confusion. We thank you, dear Lord, for giving us peace. And we pray that as we move forward along the path, we would be open and honest about all that we are experiencing and we would trust you to continue to guide us along the way. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.